Hi, my name is Kenzie McKinnon. I'm a fourth-year neuroscience student and a co-host of Lab Life. Today, we're talking to Hayam Mahmoud Ahmed, a, rec a recent double major in neuroscience and computer science. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Hayam. Hi, thank you, Kenzie, for having me. Um, so just briefly, some introduction here. Uh, where are you from? So I'm originally from Egypt, but I've been in Canada for 16 years now, I think. Um, and so you've been here so for, so for 16. And so have you been always like in the, in the Halifax area or you've been kind of around? I've been here? around. Uh, I, so from Egypt, we went to the States for a bit first. We stayed in Cleveland. Then we came to Ontario. Um, and then we were in the Toronto, Mississauga area. And then we came to Cape Breton. And this is where I finished my schooling uh, junior high and high school graduated here, and then I went straight to Dell. Okay, cool. And um, so, what? Speaking of Dell, so why did you choose to pursue a degree in um, neuroscience and computer science at Dell? So I first started off in the DISC program um, because I had intentions of going into microbiome and immunology, and I thought, hey, DISC is a good, you know, uh, connection to that. And then I actually took bio in DIST and I realized how much I hated it. I used to love the subject back in high school, um, but my prof at Dell, she just made me despise the subject. So uh, I, part of the DIST program is that we have to do a research project. And the research project that I got put on, it was a neuroscience-focused one. And then I realized that, hey, I actually like this subject. And then um, I... Uh, worked So after the project was over, the supervisor uh, liked me and the other teammates that were with us. So he wanted to keep us on. So I stayed on, uh, volunteered with the other grad students. And then I came across Aaron Newman. And he introduced me to the Neural Innovation Certificate. Um, and so I took a couple of computer science courses. And I uh, thought, hey, let's do a minor. Um, also, too, around the same time, it dawned on me that I can't do much with a neuroscience degree unless I go to grad school. So I decided, okay, let's do a double major with this. Um, and so the double major, I didn't decide that until my third year. So I was already like, at the time, I already finished most of my neuroscience classes anyways. So like I focused on the computer science bit for the last uh, year and a half. So yeah, that's <laughs> how I ended up here. And so, a uh, really good kind of talking about your, your, your STEM journey there so far. And so, what would be some of the advice that you kind of give to people kind of coming in thinking, you know, the major you pick, you kind of determine your path. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of stress that can be put on people um, when I think about whether or not they want to, like, kind of pivot with their major or, like, take on some more or, like, I mean, like, you you saw both of them through the end, but some people will kind of change. But just kind of any advice that you would give to people who are, like, not sure, like, kind of midway through about what their main focus wants to be or whether or not they want to take on other things? Uh, well, the good thing about Dow is the fact that you can integrate different fields. So if you realize that, hey, okay, uh, so I started off in neuroscience. We'll go back to me as an example. Um I found it really cool, but I also found computer science really cool. Um, so I combined the two, which honestly is great because a lot of people think that once you go into a degree, you're kind of stuck in that field. 
there's not a lot of crossover. Um, but the fact that I'm not trying to promote Dell in any way, but I'm just saying in general, like the fact that being interdisciplinary, once you start something, you don't have to stick within that certain field only. You can explore other fields and add it to your degree and stuff. Uh, there's a lot of certificates and programs and stuff that you can do. You don't need to do the full double major like I did. Uh, I because yeah, I'm me. I like to do things the hard way. Um, you can do things as a minor, just a certificate. It's fine. You don't need to do the full thing. But the fact that you can uh, go into other fields and nobody's going to tell you no, almost. <laughs> I know people who are in computer science and theater or uh, bio and computer science. Like there's a lot of crossover, a lot of interdisciplinary um, opportunities, which is honestly amazing. You don't have to go in and stick with that one thing. Um, and don't be afraid to change your degree. Like um, I started off with the intention of microbiome and immunology. I realized that like I hate this. I don't want to spend the next four of my years, four years of my life doing this. Um, so yeah, just don't be afraid to change, and don't be afraid to like add things to yourself uh, to touch different fields. Only if you feel confident enough that you can do it. If you don't think that you can pull it off. Um, you can start off small, so start off with a minor because those classes count to a major anyway. So, like, you can start off small, and then if you feel like you can do more, do more. Um, but, the, yeah, but the important thing is, like, don't be afraid to, like, explore other fields. Uh, yeah, no, that's definitely true. Like, I, I, mean, it's, I mean, it obviously starts off with at least trying, like, a class to try and, like, see if that, that's an elective, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it you know if it if it piques your interest, take it as far as you want to. If if it keeps getting more interesting for you, then keep keep doing it. You know, there's no there's no harm in pivoting. Exactly. And uh, yeah, and so um, one of the really interesting things that you've been doing, Haim, is you've uh, started a startup through a kind of um, was this this is through started originally through Surge, correct? Part of surge now, but before um, it was called the uh, it's the radiant certificate. I don't remember what the actual acronym stands for, but one of the classes is nice neuro innovation commercialization and entrepreneurship. So this is kind of where the whole interdisciplinary thing kind of stemmed from. Um, so this class it brings neuroscience, computer science, and entrepreneurship all together under one roof. Um, because yeah, that's one thing that us neuroscience and psychology people don't know how to do, <laughs> um, like kind of think outside of the clinical world that we can actually indeed go, um, start a business with this and not just stay within our bubble, but even tying, uh, computer science and all these other, uh, fields together. Um, because that's one of the dangers I honestly see of, bachelors that we are so uh, confined in this one field that you're just in this biology or chemistry realm biochemistry it's a little more easier to see the industry ties but in neuroscience and psychology it's really just clinical and research but yeah so this is what the class is trying to do trying to break that perception that you don't need to just go into clinical or research but you can actually take your degree and apply it to the real world so that's kind of what we did. So uh, the class brings together computer science, neuroscience, and entrepreneurship together and to help like break that bubble. Um, so yeah, the uh, 
this was the class was originally a two week boot camp in the summers, but we were one of the first groups where it was a full semester thing. One of the early things we had to do was like a pitching night. So everybody just throws out ideas. I really like the idea of an exoskeleton because all the other ideas, they were either injections or implants, stuff that you needed like actual time for. So I kind of actually wanted to build something for the class. So um, my group, we decided on exoskeleton. And then from there, we did pivots along the way. But right now we're building a frameless automated brace that can sense when the user wishes to move and stimulates the necessary muscles to allow you to actually move. So it looks like a compression sleeve that you just pull over your arm and then it has a bunch of sensors and electrodes. And the whole system connects to an app on your phone so you can see specifically which muscles are improving um, and just like your overall progress. And in the long run, we want to be able to send a report to your doctor so they can also see how you're recovering at home. Um, and this, in general, will help with the wait lists and the waiting times in hospitals and clinics because um, stroke is a very um, complicated uh, thing. Uh, you have motor loss and aphasia and all these other things. Um, so you have to go see phys uh, your specialists quite often, so like three to five times a week sometimes. So this would potentially help with um, those uh, congested wait times and flows and stuff. But yeah, that's where um, that's what we're working on. We're working on a frameless automated race. Um, and yeah, it all stems from the neuro innovation class. And so, is this initial initially trying to be aimed at like bringing back? Is this supposed to make like the time in which the person is injured for just easier to do? Or is it more focused on like helping the recovery process, or is it like a mixture? Like, is is it is it more so just like like say like someone usually would have had like their like arm like kind of out for say like four weeks? Is it supposed to like make those four weeks easier, or is it supposed to like make it like less than so, like four weeks? Just curious. With, I, I'm thinking with the aim. <laughs> with the aim. So our system. Well, our first prototype, we're working on just a strictly reading system. So our system, we'd ideally want to get this on a person as soon as possible to tell us um, how they're recovering. Because the problem in the clinical realm is that there's not a lot of quantitative data. There's a lot of qualitative. So when we actually did speak with physiotherapists, it's all scaled from one to five, one to 10. There's no really hard numbers. So our system would tell us, would tell uh, the individual exactly which muscles are improving and by how much. So uh, this would be best to get on a person as soon as possible. Um, so you can see exactly where they're starting off from and how they're progressing if uh, their biceps are deteriorating further. So this could be a sign that the person is not doing their exercises or not doing their exercises properly, or there might be another underlying issue that needs to be addressed. Um, but yeah, the goal would be to get this on a person as soon as possible. And when we do introduce the stimulation part, it would potentially help accelerate the recovery process. We can't make any guarantees and stuff because of uh, regulations and legal issues. But yeah, um, ideally get it as soon as possible and would help potentially accelerate that four to six week process afterwards and get to the person um, as close to their 100% as possible. 
Yeah, and so I guess also, I mean, like, if, if you were able to give more information to, like, the physicians, like, monitoring the person, you would also be kind of, that would also, I guess, help the recovery process, to, not, not, not necessarily every time, say the patient is, like, you know, doing everything correctly, but a lot of the time, you would definitely be helping to make sure that, like, their recovery process at home is um the same as like say they if they were still in uh, the clinical setting, I think you had mentioned that that was kind of an aim is making sure that like the same like recovery uh, like movements and things like that are being done to the same like the the, the correct way. I think that yeah you're, you're saying that it was addressing um, the issue of like say when a patient goes home that they're unable yeah. to necessarily maybe do the correct movements or like they might get kind of lazier and so. If you want to speak on that, I think you had mentioned that that was a an issue that is a big cause of like the recovery process being like slower. So um, in the recovery realm, there's something called learn non-use. So it's when uh, the person, so you go into the clinic, you're taught how to properly use your hands um, to how to properly recover at the clinic. But when we get home, uh, we all tend to be lazy. It's almost just anything we do. Uh, driving, even when we're in driving school, we do everything by the rules. But after you get your license, you know, we all get lazy and slack off. This is the exact same thing. Um, at home, we tend to slack off. Um, and we, do, we might not do it purposely. It might be an unconscious thing. Um, because with repetition, with a lot of repetition, it gets boring and such. Um, so at home, we kind of get a little lazy. But also, too, um, a big thing is that you can't actually physically see your recovery. Um, or it might be very slow. So um, this, as I said, this will allow us to give you more qual- quantitative data. So you can see exactly how much you're recovering because depression and uh, anxiety is a huge thing um, when it comes to uh, recovering your mobility. There are a lot of studies that found that depression and quitting your treatment as well. Um, we spoke to physiotherapists and they told us um, that Quite a few of their patients would start canceling their appointments because uh, patients were simply too depressed. The recovery was too difficult on them and too stressful. And especially when you're looking at the older generation, because stroke is mostly prevalent in seniors, uh, you know, they they kind of quit. It's tiring and very hard on them mentally and uh, physically. Um, but this, if they can see that, okay, yes, you're doing a little bit better, even though it's like maybe one or two, uh, let's say, percentages better, it's still a recovery. Um, and yeah, it just motivates people a little more. And so with, like, in terms of being able to provide that quantitative data, I was just wondering, like, how are you guys going to kind of establish, like, to what percentile someone is, like, improving? Like, what's, like, the baseline that we're going to be using for, like, in terms of um, like, are you going to use someone else's kind? Like, are you guys going to use, like, say, a pool, or are you going to use, like, like the other person's? Like, say, like, do you test like their other limbs? So, like, how are you guys going to be deriving, like, how you measure, like, someone's progress? Okay, so uh, we're actually going to be using a pool. To, um, the issue with using somebody as their own baseline is that, um, so let's say if there was, it was only their right arm that was affected. Um, and not their left, then um, if you're looking at, let's say, uh, an elderly individual, 
they might already have arthritis or some other mobility issues to begin with. So using them as their own baseline would not be ideal. So um, we plan on creating our own uh, data sets for each age range and each gender um, as our own baseline. So our goal would be to get the individual as close to possible as that norm or prevent them from getting worse. Because we know it's impossible to get somebody back to the uh, to their 100%. It could, it could be done, but it's, it would be very difficult. And especially if you look at the older population. Um, so we want to get them as close as possible to that pooled baseline or prevent them from getting worse. Um, because that would be <laughs> bad. Um, so yeah. That's our general plan, to create a pool of data and uh, try to compare them to that data. We know that there's a lot of uh, individual factors to consider. Um, so, yeah, we incorporate those uh, individual factors, and uh, we try to get them as close as possible. And so, um, kind of, where, where would you guys like to take it, like, like how... Okay, going forward, like what are the steps that you guys are kind of working on right now? And I know you uh, had mentioned in the chat we had earlier that there's, you know, you're kind of hitting those kinds of walls of being in the startup for a while now. And if you wouldn't mind just kind of talking a little bit about the kind of how you've kind of maintained that resilience and trying to all the little things that have made kind of maintain the startup kind of like just the process and kind of how it's been going. I'm not going to lie. It, it's hard at times. Um, it's because, so as a, this started in the class. In the class, you're taught kind of this optimistic outlook that, okay, go talk to customers. People are really interested. And so that's great. You created that idea. But the next step is to make that idea real. Uh, you need to go get funding. Um, a lot of the funding, in order to get it, you need to incorporate or you need to register the business in a certain province and so on. Uh, you need to compete in competitions. Uh, you need to file taxes and so on. So, like making it real, you don't. They don't teach you that in school. They don't tell. They don't show you the ugly side of it. And this is not to discourage anybody. Like it didn't discourage me. I went through it and did it. Um, the important thing is having a group of people beside you um, who believe in the idea as well and who also believe in you and you believe in them. Um, and that's honestly, that's the biggest part. That's why we actually made this real. Um, my original team, uh, we're no longer together. I'm the remaining original co-founder. But yeah, having a group of people who believe in the idea enough that, okay, we can make this real, we can do this together. Um, but yeah, that's the biggest part because it takes a lot of work and you need a team where um, each person will do their part and it's not one person doing everything or everybody doing the exact same thing. You need to split up the work. Um, and yeah, that's how we managed to get this far, having a team that was interdisciplinary um, and we just had trust in each other that, okay, this person deals with the tech, this person deals with the business, this person deals with the customers having uh, a team that you have confidence in them um, and that you know that are going to stay with you at the end of the day. Um, I guess the biggest advice I would say is um, love your idea, but don't be married to it because um, you need to be open to pivots. We had to do quite a few pivots 
um, whether it was the product itself, customers, the methodology that we use. Um, because, you know, we're as humans, we're kind of stubborn. We believe that our first idea, this is perfect. We don't need criticism or anything. Um, but being open to that criticism, especially from your own team, uh, it's not, we didn't have arguments or anything. We had discussions. And, um, and we are all very science focused. So as long as we present the data, then uh, making pivots and stuff was very easy. Um, but yeah, just having it, the biggest thing is having a team who's there standing next to you and that you trust them enough that you can leave the technology development to them. Uh-huh. And you focus strictly on the business, which is what which is what we did. I focus more on the business and legal side of everything and financials, which is no fun. Um, and then my other teammates, they focus on the tech side. Um, but it's not, our line is not like, it's not a solid line. Like if the people on the tech side need help with, let's say, the neuroscience aspect, I'm always more than happy to join them. It's better than doing taxes. Or if I need help with um, financials or whatever, like we're always willing to help each other. Um, and yeah, just the biggest thing is ha- having a team who believes in it enough that uh, they'll be there to help you out whenever. That's really great. And I, I mean, just to wrap just wrap things up, one last question is just kind of like, where do you kind of hope to see this? Like, where, like, where do you hope to see this is, that this goes, and kind of what is your future? What are your like, you know, far-off future goals for this, or near so, future goals, that matter? <laughs> near future goals. Um, well, we hope to get a clinical trial up um, and running because I mentioned earlier we need to get that uh, pooled data set. Mm-hmm. So uh, we want to collect data because that kind of data that we're looking for doesn't exist or it's very difficult to find and we can't get access to it. So we want to create that data set first and have a system that can read. That's our first um, a reading system. And then we'd incorporate the stimulation system later. Um, but our goal would be to have this um, launched in Canada and um create another system afterwards focused on athletes or um, possibly veterans at the end do a military um, line of our products because mobility loss isn't just for stroke patients. Uh, Sports injuries, car accidents, other um, massive traumas, it's everywhere. Uh, And we hope to hopefully uh, help alleviate that a little bit. That's that's really cool. Um, yeah, no, like as someone also in like the area of neuroscience, like the stuff that goes that's like going on, like like your whole project has just been like really interesting to hear about. And um, yeah, no, like in terms of improving the quality of life for like a lot of people, it sounds like it would do a really good job, especially for like I think the thing that we that you had mentioned for the first time during this interview was the aspect of depression and anxiety, and I I found that to be also very telling it, 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 like very it, it makes a lot of sense that that would be something that can really affect you know like the, kind of the course of treatment and kind of make like whether or not it would negatively affect uh, the recovery process and kind of not just improving like the quality of someone's day-to-day function but also being able to provide kind of that really like that rich data that um, clinicians can use to kind of make the whole process like 
like more seeable, more viewable, less kind of up in the air about how someone's doing with the process. And yeah, being able to provide that kind of real time feedback might really help those things. And I think it's a really awesome project that you've been able to start up and have been doing for a while now. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and so once again, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, you gave an amazing interview in terms of talking about all the great work that you've been doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, once again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me.